0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another 15 minute devotional. Uh, This is an online video and podcast series for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. And for any viewers on Facebook and YouTube and listeners to Melvin Gaines' faith channel, we appreciate you being here today. My name is Melvin Gaines. Uh, This program, as always, encourages viewers to get into God's Word and stay in His Word. And as you learn and grow with consistency, about the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In this program, we're going to be covering the daily reading for Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. Now, our church encourages participat- participation—excuse me—in the two-year Bible reading plan, which allows for the reader to cover the entire Bible over a two-year period. In this devotional here, we're going to. Cover the passages for today as designated by the two-year Bible plan, and as we go, we make some verbal notes and comments. But when you follow the two-year Bible reading plan, it normally will cover about a seven to ten-minute period of time of reading for that particular day, and it would be followed by five to eight minutes of time and reflection as to what has been read, and in prayer. Uh, this routine takes about fifteen minutes each day; hence, the name fifteen-minute devotional. We encourage all participants to follow this pattern uh, as far as the reading uh, reading is concerned to develop the best possible habits for the reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. You can, of course, read more than 10 minutes a day. Uh, There is no exclusion or limit to that. But for those who have time constraints, the 15-minute Bible reading plan, the devotional time, that's a way to establish good habits every single day. If you're in the Word every day, you can't help but learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today's verses, and we have to kind of uh, include some additional verses that would have been part of today's reading in the book of Judges. We're going to read today the book of Judges, uh, chapter 8, verses 4 through 32. Um, Then we're going to cover Luke 23, verses 26 through 43. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 4. And Proverbs 21, verses 28 and 29. So what we're going to do is get started and not delay any further and get into the word with first of all, prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we have now to sit back and take a deep breath and relax and listen to you speak to us through the power of the Spirit. Lord, may the words that are spoken be not my words, but your words as we go over these passages And Lord, may we just have the desire to learn and grow more and more according to what your word has to say. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Judges chapter 8. Judges 8. Let's take a look at. uh, We're going to start with verse 4. If you were following the two year Bible plan according to the schedule, It would take you to verse 18 to start and then read through verse 32. But we're going to start at verse 4 because we want to have, since we're doing this uh, once a week and not every day, we want to allow for the uh, viewers and listeners to understand some context here and what we're doing. Of course, we're in Judges and we're going to be covering, pardon me, the last chapter um, in the book of Gideon. uh, Regarding Gideon, excuse me, Um, he has three chapters that are covering uh, his... Uh, escapades in Judges, verse uh, chapter 6 through chapter 8. We're going to be in the last part of that. So we're going to start at verse 4 and read through now to verse 32. Uh, We're going to be reading. uh, Let's do the New Living Translation. And please follow along in your version. Starting at verse 4, Judges 8. Gideon then crossed the Jordan River with his 300 men. And though exhausted, they continued uh, to chase the enemy. When they reached Succoth, Gideon asked the leaders of the town, please give my warriors some food. They are very tired. I am chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth replied, catch Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we will feed your army. So Gideon said, after the Lord gives me victory over Zeba and Zalmunna, I will return and tear your flesh with the thorns and briars from the wilderness. From there, Gideon went up to Peniel, and again asked for food, but he got the same answer. So he said to the people in Peniel, after I return in victory, I will tear down this tower. Verse 10, by the time Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with about 15,000 warriors, all the remained of the allied armies of the east for 120,000 had already been killed. Gideon circled around by the caravan route east of Noba and Jagbeha taking the Midianite army by surprise, Ziba and Zalmunna, the two Midianite kings, fled, but Gideon chased them down and captured all their warriors. Verse 13, after this, Gideon returned from the battle by way of Harris Pass. There he captured a young man from Succoth and demanded that he write down the names of all 77 officials and elders in the town. Gideon then returned to Succoth and said to the leaders, here are Zeba and Zalmunna. When we were here before, you taunted me, saying, Catch Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we will feed your exhausted army. Then Gideon took the elders of the town and taught them a lesson, punishing them with thorns and briars from the wilderness. He also tore down the tower of Peniel and killed all the men in the town. Verse 18. Then Gideon asked Zeba and Zalmunna, The men you killed at Tabor, what were they like? Like you, they replied, they all had the look of a king's son. They were my brothers, the sons of my own mother, Gideon exclaimed. As surely as the Lord lives, I wouldn't kill you if you hadn't killed them. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword, for he was only a boy and was afraid. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said to Gideon, be a man, kill us yourself. So Gideon killed them both and took the royal ornaments and necks from the necks of their camels. Verse 22. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, "Be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian." But Gideon replied, "I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. However, I have do have one request that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies." The enemies, being Ishmaelites, all wore gold earrings. Gladly, they replied, they spread out a cloak, and each one threw in a gold earring he had gathered from the plunder. The weight of the gold earrings was 43 pounds, not including the royal ornaments and pendants, the purple clothing worn by the kings of Midian or the chains around the necks of their camels. Gideon made a sacred ephod, from the gold and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. That is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Verse 29, then Gideon, son of Joash, returned home. He had 70 sons born to him for he had many wives. He also had a concubine in Shechem who gave birth to a son whom he named Abimelech. Gideon died when he was very old and he was buried in the grave of his father, Joash, at Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer. All right. So that is Judges chapter 8. We covered verses 4 through 32 so that we could see context in what was being read and not have it all cut off. Now, I'm just going to summarize this because, of course, I really do encourage everyone who participates in this study to go back and do their own study of these passages and look at these on your own uh, accord. And I typically, when I review these passages, I do typically look at uh, commentary provided by J. Vernon McGee through the Bible with uh, J. Vernon McGee. He has excellent commentaries uh, that can refer to. They're not perfect, but they, they do serve the purpose as far as giving us context for what we've been reading. And what we need to know about the book of Judges is Judges is showing that after the reign of uh, Joshua, Joshua was not a king. He was merely the leader of the Israelites. And what we're going to see here, especially in this account, um, the the Israelites have been disobedient uh, off and on, and they continue to be disobedient. And when they are under captivity, they call on the Lord to provide a leader. And Gideon, of course, was... Uh, a leader that was provided and and what God is showing us here is that he provides very ordinary people to assume leadership and responsibility for the people uh, uh, of Israel and he takes them and allows them to go into battle he empowers them to go into battle and oppose their enemy and and the the number, you'll notice here when we first started this reading back in verse 4 that Gideon was only traveling with 300 people 300 men And of course they were tired They were looking for a sustenance They were trying to move about And when he was coming across individuals uh, Asking for food uh, They pretty much rejected him And just rejected him out of hand Now Gideon uh, His weakness is cowardice But in this case you can tell that God empowered him to be able to do what he was doing And gave him The courage to get through and do those things Even though Um, we can see that he was very cowardly. I mean, he basically uh, acted in the power of the Lord in the instances of dealing with the people of Succoth and then did the same thing uh, when he went to Peniel and asked for food or assistance. And he basically kept the promise that he was going to make sure that those individuals were going to be dealt with because they refused to help uh, in the quest of the Lord trying to defeat the enemies. And... One thing that we've noticed, if we go further down in the passage, um, he was asking his uh, son to uh, deal with those individuals, um, the, the the kings of Zeba and uh, as kings Zeba and Zalmuna. Uh, he also he went to Jethro and said, "Kill them," but uh, asked his son to kill them. But the, he was afraid; he was uh, fearful. Uh, he's actually cut from the same cloth as uh, Gideon was because. Cowardice was what Gideon was mostly uh, known for, but you'll see the weaknesses of these leaders as well, too, because what um, Gideon had uh, mentioned about using the gold that was captured from the enemies, the Ishmaelites, and having them uh, made into an ephod, a sacred ephod, from uh, and putting it in his hometown, but the people there began to worship that, and that was a snare. And all of these leaders that God appoints we have to understand that they are ordinary people just like you and me they're all subject to their own um issues when it comes to sin and we recognize that you see at the end of Gideon's life he had 70 sons because he had a lot of wives he had a lot of people uh he had a concubine who gave birth to Abimelech and he was uh he died of old age and he was buried there but he was used mightily by the Lord but that's an indication for all of us to remember that while he doesn't accept God doesn't accept the sin that these guys perform, he still will carry out uh, what he sets out to do based upon what uh, he had promised uh, to the Israelites because he loves his people, he loves the people, but he uses imperfect people to accomplish what he was setting out to do and Gideon was imperfect for sure. Gideon uh, did some things that he shouldn't have done, and he, when he we talk about something being a snare. That tells you right there. Sometimes the actions that we put forth because we value something, or maybe it was the gold that was being captured, that was being valued. As it turns out, it was a situation where um, it was a snare to Gideon and his family, and it was something that basically fed into the fact that the Israelites were, were very not very loyal to following God. They would much rather choose to follow someone else. They wanted to appoint Gideon to be king over them and ruler over them. Gideon would not allow that. But this was just a pattern that was going to take place. They wanted to elevate someone because they wanted to emulate, the Israelites ultimately wanted to emulate the fact that there were other kings in other lands and they wanted their own king. But God was supposed to be their king. God was supposed to be the one who was in charge. And this was a fight that these Israelites would continue to wage amongst themselves to make sure that they had their own appointed leader. They were rejecting God the Father. This is the same thing that we learn in the issue with Samuel. Uh, and, and how Samuel had warned the people we don't You don't need a king You already have a king, a ruler But um, Saul was the one that they ultimately wanted to have as their king And that would come later on Obviously as we are reading the text As we get into 1 Samuel and all that So just wanted to give that um, Point those things out to you In the book of Judges We're going to see how God does elevate people Who are ordinary into authority and leadership And gives them power and authority But they have their failings as well Okay, let's go to Luke 23, just to keep moving along. Luke 23, and you'll recognize this passage right away when we look at this, too. Luke 23, verses 26 through 43. Luke 23, verses 26 through 43. So let's take a look at this now. This is actually the account of the crucifixion, and you'll recognize all of this very... uh, much if you're very inf- interested in reading, uh, or reading the details in between, I would also recommend that as well, too, especially when we get to the point towards the end here. Verse 26, Luke 23. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. Verse 30 People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Verse 32, two other, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, that's called Gotha, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. He saved others they said let him save himself if he is really god's messiah the chosen one the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine they called out to him if you are the king of jews save yourself a sign was fastened above him with these words this is the king of the jews one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed so you're the messiah and are you, so you're the messiah are you Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now understand something about this passage. Of course, we have the pretty much the complete account uh, in Luke here from the time before he is even nailed to the cross to the point where he was executed. You have to understand there's a lot of time that goes by um, during this time frame of the description of what's happening here. It's been estimated that uh, when someone is crucified, they can be on the cross anywhere from three to six hours, uh, and that time has gone by, but it's also a very painful death. It's a very Um, it's where you're essentially suffocating because you're up on the, you're nailed to the cross. There's no way for you to, uh, come down from that, uh, situation. And it's a very slow and painful death as a means of punishment, frankly, before, before you do pass on. And I'm going to just mention a couple of things here that need to be mentioned. Early on in in the passage in verse 28 here, when Jesus turns to the grief-stricken women and makes the proclamation, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs who have not borne a child, and the breasts have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For these things are done when the tree is green. What will happen when it is dry? What is he referring to? He's actually making a prophetic message about what it's going to be like during the tribulation. This is a tribulation a prophecy uh, where people are going to be so uh, turned upside down. Um, those who are going to, are, those who are pregnant, and those who are trying to flee from the persecution. That's going to be a very, very difficult time. It's going to be so bad for those who are um, outside of following God that they're going to. Beg because the times are going to be so difficult. They're going to want the mountains to collapse on them and be buried, and that's something that we actually would read about in Revelation as well too. So this is a matter of prophecy. That's what we want to point out here. In verse 34, Jesus mentions about Father forgive them for they don't know what they do, what they are doing. That's when they were being crucified, all three of the people there, Jesus and the two criminals as well too. And of course, you have the rhetoric about. Um, the people who were scoffing at Jesus, the sign over their head fastened, this is the king of the Jews. That's something that's mentioned as well, too. Um, and what we learn from the uh, inscription on, as far as the language, there were three different inscriptions over Jesus uh, at the time. That was not mentioned here in this passage, but if we put all the Gospels together, we would see that. Uh, part of it was in Greek. Part of it was in Latin, part of it was in Hebrew. Greek was the language of intelligence, of education, of literature, and science. Latin was the language of law. This is from J. Vernon McGee. Law and order of the military and of government. Hebrew was the language of religion. All three of those were posted there at the same time. Now, when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom, as pointed out here by J. Vernon McGee, he's going to be the political ruler, the educational ruler, and the spiritual ruler. That is how accurate this, is, the, this inscription was. All three languages portrayed the same thing. This is the king of the Jews. He indeed is our coming king. He is who we are looking forward to when he returns. When he returns and returns to earth, he's going to return as a, a God of justice. And that's what we're looking forward to. And let's point out real quick about the thief on the cross. This passage includes the thief on the cross about verse 40. The other criminal protested. Uh, Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And so at that moment, in spite of a a life, a very evil uh, person who was being condemned and uh, was being executed for his crimes, he acknowledged and recognized who Jesus was right away. That indeed, he recognized that Jesus was dying for him. He was dying for someone else. He was dying for Barabbas. He went to the cross for all of us who deserve death. Amen? And the thief on the cross recognized that very thing and recognized what he was doing. And the Spirit must have spoken to him at that point and said, yes, he is indeed the Messiah. So Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. If we have anything to pray about when it comes to people who don't know Jesus, we pray that they at least make the confession of faith that Jesus indeed is their Lord who takes away the sins that they commit and recognize that Jesus is Lord of their life and that indeed indeed he is the one who allows us to have fellowship with him for all eternity in heaven. Uh, What a wonderful revelation to have and wonderful understanding to have. The thief on the cross made it in. Uh, just because of that. wasn't by any works that he did. wasn't by anything that he did. Nothing that he did uh, paved the way to salvation except believing in who Jesus was right at that very moment. That's something that should be very comforting for all of us who know people who don't know Jesus. We need to keep praying for them, that they at least make that acknowledgement, just like the thief on the cross acknowledged exactly who Jesus was at the right moment and the right time. Once he dies, it's too late to do so. Amen. Let's go over now to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. Thank you for indulging me with those extra comments as well, too, because I can't emphasize enough how important it is for, to recognize that there's no reason to do this unless we're acknowledging Jesus as Lord of our lives and unless we're acknowledging that we need a Savior and we need someone that is going to take away the sins that we commit, take away the sins of the world. That's why he came to, came to earth in the first place, for our salvation. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 The Lord is king, let the nations tremble. He sits on the thro- his throne between the cherubim, let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established fairness, you have acted with justice and righteousness throughout israel okay that's psalm 99 verses 1 through 4 and we want to recognize that this is another great psalm that gives praise to god um for his majesty for his mightiness he is a mighty king a lover of justice uh as we read in verse 4 and here's the thing if you and we we kind of covered this the last time we got together on our on our 15 minute devotional we're going to be spending a lot of time giving praise to god in heaven that's what we have to look forward to and this is just one of many psalms that cover it psalm 99 is one of them it's a psalm a psalm of praise a songs of praise psalm 100 is another one that follows this a lot of these psalms are there to show us what it is to praise god give praise to him and that's what we'll be doing all the time when we're having fellowship with him It's something to look forward to and we are we give him praise. Why? Because he sent us a great redeemer. He redeems us um, from a place where we will have no fellowship with God. But because of our belief in Jesus, we have reason to give him praise. He is the one who loves us. He's wonderful. He's faithful. he His loving kindness endures forever. What a wonderful thing to give him praise about. And so we do indeed want to practice exalting him and recognize that we have a reason to be rejoicing who God is. He's always good for us. He's always been good to us. And we recognize that because we believe in Him, we have eternal life because of salvation. So we'll be giving Him praise. And may we always have that attitude. You know, sometimes we need to come back and recognize that, yes, we have all these things that we look at in Scripture where Jesus challenges us to be obedient to Him. But we have reason to praise him for what he's done for us, and that praise is a sweet sound. And indeed, even though we can't sing, or if we have a, our voice doesn't go very well, that praise is still a sweet sound because indeed, we're giving praise and honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. One more reading: Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, verses 28 and 29. Proverbs 21, verses 28 and 29. Okay. A false witness will be cut off, but a credible witness will be allowed to speak. The wicked bluff their way through, but the virtuous think before they act. Now, what's pointed out here in this particular proverb, we're talking about what it is to bear false witnesses. And that is what is what is involved here. False witness was buried against Jesus, uh, born against Jesus. When uh, it came to the Pharisees wanting to find reasons to accuse him uh, and say that he indeed uh, should be condemned because of he was bearing false witness against the Lord himself, um, and that, but they were in fact just lying about who he was. And that was one of Pontius Pilate's failings, because. Pontius Pilate knew that these Pharisees were making false accusations against him, but he, uh, at the end of the day, was fearful. He did not want to necessarily acknowledge uh, that this was happening. And we get an indication of that if we look at Matthew chapter 27. I'm just going to make a quick reference to Matthew 27, if you want to turn to that. Matthew 27, verses 11 through 14. And And so when Jesus is actually facing the governor, the governor being uh, Pontius Pilate. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you have said it. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. But Pilate knew that those people who were making the accusation were bearing false witness against Jesus. What do you think the consequence is when you bear false witness? There's nothing good that comes from that. And more than, more than one person came and made the accusation against Jesus. And so if you have more than one person doing it, even though the accusation was considered false, false witnesses have nothing good waiting for them. They'll perish. Uh, they, and that's a remarkable... Uh, this passage is remarkable to look at from the standpoint that we need to recognize that truth has to be the what what prevails and Jesus of course Satan was pulling out all the stops against Jesus right uh, bearing false witness lying making accusations Satan's the father of all lies he is a liar himself and that's what he continued to show and do to try to damage in any way shape or form what Jesus was doing he tried to trick Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when he was under temptation uh, tried to tempt uh, Jesus uh, to go outside of what the will of God would be and and go outside of what God's word was and he failed at doing so and I'm glad that John in John chapter fourteen Jesus makes the declaration that he has the victory over Satan. Satan cannot touch him, cannot harm him. He will have the victory and he was going to continue to have the victory because frankly, um Jesus was given the power through of the Spirit to be able to carry out the ministry that he did all the way through to completion, in total obedience to the Father. And that is what we have to uh, recognize and rely upon. So false witnesses will be cut off. False witnesses were not going to be recognized, and they certainly are not recognized uh, in the kingdom. And so thank goodness that Jesus indeed has the victory. Amen. Please spend time on your own reading these passages and looking at them because um, I can only just give you a little bit of a, a quick mention as to what's going on here But I encourage you to develop your study time in the Lord. It is a valuable time indeed. And we thank you for joining us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time that you've given to us to spend in your word. Bless this time now, Lord. Bless us and give us the desire to seek you more and more as we read your word, study your word, allow the Spirit to speak to us, and we give you praise and thanks for all of these things in Jesus' name. We appreciate you being here today for another 15-minute devotional. We hope that you catch up with us next time when we do this once more. We appreciate you being here. Spread the word. Of course, if you want more information about Akron Alliance Fellowship Church, please join us at akronalliance.org. That's the website, and we appreciate you being here. And, of course, we have Facebook, the Akron Alliance Fellowship Facebook page, and our YouTube channel as well, too. Take care of yourselves. God bless you. We'll see you next time.